now introducing Mr. Kawada himself, my dad. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever you're listening, however you're listening, this is Quantum of History. I am your host, Donnie Waldron. Welcome back. I know it's been a little bit of a hiatus here. Thank you all for bearing with me. You guys have been so great. Today is going to be another Fleming versus film. We're going to welcome in Thomas Felix Creighton from All Beyond Never Dies, Fleming Never Dies. Uh, he's been on the the show a bunch of times, so if you guys listen to this podcast, you guys have definitely heard of him before. Great guest. We have it's going to be a two part series because we went a long time with this one because this one right here, ladies and gentlemen, this one is one of my favorites. Maybe maybe the favorite I have. The From Rush with Love, and I love doing this so much because these Fleming versus films. Uh, some of these are razor thin, and this was one of those ones that is a razor thin margin about which one I like better, the film or the novel. You have to stay tuned until part two where we finally reveal which one we both think and uh, maybe a little bit of surprises along the way. But we're going to get into some deep diving about it. We're going to talk about you know, how it relates to current times, how it relates to the past, what it means to us personally and do some personal experiences that we had. Thomas you know, lived in Cyprus. He's well-versed. He knows the Turkish language. He's been all over the place. He's so well-versed, so well-knowledged in the area. And, uh, you know, he's just got a wealth of knowledge and he's so much fun to talk to. So I'm really excited to get into this. Uh, as far as going forward, I'm going to have a lot of stuff coming forward. This next couple months should be a lot less crazy than the last four or five months were for me. So I'm looking forward to doing a lot of these Fleming versus film. Also, just more of the traditional um, quantum of history, looking into Bond films. There's a lot of topics that I want to get into, and I should have more time coming up uh, in the future to keep doing this stuff. So thank you all for bearing with me. This is a two-parter. It's a lot of fun. Stay with us. Stay listening to both of them. I think you're really going to enjoy what comes in. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Fleming versus film from Russia with love. All right, all right, welcome back, my good buddy Thomas Felix Creighton. Uh, I love going to the Thomas Well for all my content. Uh, I love listening to your content now. I'll be on Never Dies. He's got some great stuff. He's on YouTube. He's on podcasts. He's everywhere. Again, the voice of an angel and the jawline to match. Welcome back, Thomas Felix Creighton from Fleming Never Dies. Thank you so much. I couldn't have asked for a better introduction if I wrote it myself. I swear I did. <laughs> well, I've had I've, I've, been, I've had the privilege of doing this like six times now with you, so I'm getting your intro. <laughs> I'm really honing it in. Uh, but I'm very excited to have this on. And you've lived in Cyprus, um, and this is this um, movie and this film and this novel uh, are so important to me personally. I just love this stuff. This is. For me, it's just the pinnacle of what I love about Bond, both the novel and the film. And I can't think of anybody better, more qualified to dive in to that. That is from Russia with love. You want to sing I with me too? Or road, please should, move over. <laughs> <laughs> should we do the soundtrack too or should we just keep talking about the, the books? 
the soundtrack too. Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> I can. Do you want to just do a I'm, rendition of it, or should we talk about it? <laughs> but what does it mean for you? What, did, what was? With love. <laughs> oh, that was serious. Okay, <laughs> that was beautiful. That was beautiful. Um, but yeah, what did "From Rush with Love" mean to you? Like, what what does it mean in your personal life? It is one of my favorite Fleming books. In fact, if I had to choose a favorite out of the 14 kind of James Bond books, this would be my number one. Mm. Um, out of the Sean Connery films, Doctor No is good, but for me, From Usher Would Love is my number one. <laughs> um, so I've watched this again and again. It helps. As you mentioned, I lived in Cyprus and I lived in the Turkish side of it. I've been studying the Turkish language for 20 years now and I've traveled extensively. I have been to all the locations in the film, the book, traveled across Europe as the, the train takes that route, even been around the west coast of Scotland where the film, part of the film was actually filmed. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm a huge fan of this. The food, the drink, almost every aspect of this I love. So I know. It's so great, it's especially when you've been to these areas that they talk about. I, I love, the, Fleming talks about places where I grew up in some of the other books. So when you, mm. when, um, you get to see this and you get to read it about it. It's almost, it just, it, it makes it a little more personal. So I really, I just, I just love this book it does. and it's so, so damn much. Um, but like you said, he's I, never that's, too that's flattering about these places, is he? He's, he's quite, no. he's quite accurate as a writer. He, he <laughs> sees it with a keen eye. He is very brutally honest, which I did again, just adds so much character. There's no fluff to it. There's no sugarcoating. Yeah. It's very much to the point. And uh, I, I, like you said, this is your favorite book and it's one of your favorite movies. And I feel the same way. That's why I would love doing the Fleming versus film because some of them are really tight. Some of these things are like the novel so good and the book is so good and uh, the film is so good. So which one do you pick? And that's why I am so excited to do this today because we are going to get in some rabbit holes because we need to decide because I love, when I, this is for a long time, From Russia With Love was my favorite movie. And uh, it still goes mm. back and forth between this and Casino Royale. And as far as the novels, From Russia With Love is probably top three. I go back before a couple of them. Mm. Um, but yeah, I can't wait to I can't wait to start debating them. Okay. okay. <laughs> Where should we start? <laughs> well, let's start with the book because I think the book um, sets the stage much more deeper um, than the film does. So we start with the book. Mm. And uh, it starts with a massage table, right? And the woman comes in, and just the description of how she reads uh, Donovan Grant's body and how she's reading, what she feels being in that man's presence. Uh, what did you think about the way they set up in the novel? I think it's perfectly set up. Um, she senses the evil. She doesn't know what the evil is, but she's unnerved by it. Um, and I think it really sets up the tension of the book without showing too much without telling too much at that point i think it sets a general tone of attention really i love that and i think that's when you look at like no time to die it was kind of what it lacked was that you didn't have that really depth of who the villain was but this novel goes into donovan mm -hmm. grant a lot and they really set up have, have you ever been in the presence where somebody you ever been in the presence of an evil person that has literally just stopped your soul a little bit hmm I can't think of an example. I can think of an example of somebody mad who we realized was mad and their madness coincided with the phases of the full moon, <laughs> which is obviously a feature in the book. Yeah. I wouldn't say evil. I'd say madness has struck me more. Madness has struck me. And, and it's kind of cool. We'll, we'll, uh, let, let's go back. And at the end, when, Bonav when, Don, when Bond perceived the madness, 
let's let's talk about the mm. full moon madness when you're in the presence of somebody who's in the madness part. For me, the evil. Yeah. I, I remember the first time I was in the presence of somebody that looked at me and literally just took my soul because they were so evil. And I was it was young. I was mm. 26. I was in Border Patrol, and I never had it again when I was in Baltimore or anything like that. But I was young. I I didn't. I was still just getting into the profession of law enforcement and stuff like that. And, and so I was a little wet behind the ears. I hadn't been in any kind of battles or anything like that yet. And this one guy, I remember you'd go through the line. I had arrested him. I found him in the desert, got through, got through talking to everybody. And this one guy, the way he looked into my soul, like it was just like I felt the presence of this man's evil. And he wasn't doing anything evil, but you could just tell in the presence of this man, this man was evil. And uh, it turns out later as we go through his background, he was a Sicario for one of the cartels. Like this... And when you're a Sicario, you know, you're you're not just shooting somebody, you're cutting them up, you're doing butchering things to these people. So I I will never forget the feeling I had, and I I haven't had it since, I never had it before, never had it against. But this person I can still feel the stain of being in the presence of someone who is actually evil. So when I read this book and I and I read this masseuse who can actually feel the aura and the evilness of this man, mm. I just love this I love that moment about the novel. Yeah, I don't doubt it exists, and it's and it's interesting to hear to hear your thoughts on it. And obviously, Fleming, I guess, must have come across something. He had to have because the way he describes it, like you, you know, there's a difference between being around somebody who's bad or kind of you know, criminal or something like that. Mm-hmm. I've been to you know, thousands of that, but there was a difference when I was in the presence of evil, and I still I still have chills to this day even thinking about it. I mean, that man looked through my soul. And I was just a young 26, hadn't been through anything yet. And it was just, that man owned me for that moment. It was so weird. But I just love reading about it. And that's what the novels bring that you can't get from, I don't think you can portray it as yeah. well in the film as they do. So we go on. And then what do you think about the backstory of Donovan? And they really go into it more than anything, any other novel. They really do a set of, this is how mm. weird and madness this guy is. It's a, brilliant story i think it shows his descent into madness really and it's been pointed out to me that all the real villains in the fleming stories are really the same kind of roles that people had in the second world war yeah his parents he's you know it's a german and it's a southern irish lady he gets into Sinn fein it's a fairly good anti-british setup um, (laughs) and it comes out later that he's got a few scores to settle with the english particularly yeah Uh, so i find that kind of interesting but i also find um this is a full spoiler discussion so the way he he murders small animals kind of works up bigger and bigger and bigger until he gets the tramp and then so on from there i found very interesting um he is asexual which kind of two of the the villain characters are which Mm -hmm. i think is interesting considering the plot that they create to ensnare bond and to shame him yeah i think it's significant but I do find it a really engaging backstory, more than really any of the other villains from the books. I agree. I agree, absolutely. And it's just so well set up. Uh, I think that they really take the time to show that this is this is a formidable person. Like, this is a serious... He was a boxer. He's physically dominant. Uh, he's uncouth, but he is a mm. chameleon. And it's weird to even say this, this book was written, I don't remember, 19... 60s early? I don't know. 57. Exactly. 57. 57. I mean, 
he, his understanding of how a serial killer is born is still today. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I don't know how much research was done in the 1950s about serial killers, but think about how much is done now. And mm. it's almost this Fleming just understood this is how serial killers are born. This is how they start. They start, mm. they have, you know, no sympathy, no empathy. Then they're mainly asexual. And they start by killing animals and then they kill people. So it, it's just interesting to see 1950s that this man has even a pulse. I don't know how much research it was, but even understood what a serial killer would, what they would become and how they were born, so to speak. Yeah. He's a well-traveled man, Fleming. He's a well-educated man, but he also seems to have an instinct for it. I wonder who he talked to. Yeah. I don't think there's a lot of psycholo- psychological theory around at the time, but there's definitely the perception and the understanding of it he de- the way he explores it is really good yeah i think he definitely does he utilizes the people he knows and the people he has access to to hear mm. these stories it must be and they talk about later in the book executioners are in short supply when they're they've researched mm. him and they've they've gone through his psychological profile like this dude is a as a as a mad dog put him down but then the person who's the head of the um kgb or the smurfs is like well yeah but you understand that we're asking in, in the time in Russia, 30 million people were killed. You know, that's a lot of people. That's your own people. And you got to have these people and it must mm. wear on normal people under orders under the Auschwitz defense. That must wear on your psyche. It takes a special person to do it. And this person sees that uh, this is a f- rare skill that we have. Somebody who can just kill and keep going, almost like feeding the machine. Yeah. I found that a very interesting line that, you know, we're not short of people to execute, but we're, we're running short of execution. Yeah, isn't that very, very interesting? Such a macabre thing to think about. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's so Fleming. What it, can I say? It is. It's, it's just brilliant <laughs> stuff. And uh, what I think uh, the novel goes into, and I think we really go into it starting in the film, but really um, just the adventure of a Cold War. When you read the novel and you kind of are taken back into – it's very much man versus man, country versus country, good versus evil. Whereas now there's so much mud and there's so much murkiness and there's not the adventure. Like I've always feel like I was born 50 years too late because the Cold War would have just <laughs> made made me hard as a rock <laughs> just doing this stuff. Uh, and the it's fact... very current, right? So the book constantly refers like at the beginning and towards the end to the Koklov affair. So he was mm-hmm. a Russian defector who went to the United States, testified all about kind of how bad it all was. And the Russians tried to poison him and failed. And it became <laughs> such a public failure that it gets into the book. It refers to Burgess and McLean's, which was the two British defectors who went to the Soviet Union. So it's very current in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you get into the film, you've got, for example, in the Soviet embassy, you've got pictures of Yuri Gagarin, first man in space, and so on. They keep it all very current throughout the book and film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it does. It, it has this part of realism. This part of it. it's just like, so exciting to read. I just feel like, and now, you know, look at what people have to. It's it's now it's somebody in Nevada with a drone, you know, with a joystick yeah. fighting their wars, or it's or it, there's such a discrepancy now between people who have technology. And people who think that wars and stuff are fought now by the tech nerds that are everything in space and they want to go through, hey, we're going to do surveillance and we're going to have to do all this stuff. And then we'll put, you know, we'll check their IP addresses and all this stuff. And they forget that the real intel comes from on the ground. You know, if you're working. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got this thing where there's people are searching for good evil. They're searching for adventures. They're searching for causes. And 
terrorism, when, when that became such a big thing, like, hey, we'll fight that. That's just an idea. And you're fighting so different paradigms. You got an entire civilized Western culture trying to fight, you know, basically barbarian culture in one point, and you're never going to understand it. And you, that's what they think. You can't get it from on the ground. You have to get it on these untel. And that's what I love about the Cold War is that Soviets are here, Americans are here, British are here, and it's like it's an equal playing field, and there's good guys and bad guys, and everything is done almost like a gentleman way to do it. And it's just, I, I think humanity kind of craves that kind of adventure. I think just kind of lost with that. And reading those books, that's that's what I love so much about these books and the and Bond in that time, is being able to experience those, um, you know, vicariously through Bond. Whereas now, I don't know. I mean, what what is our what is our great cause? You know. I mean, even M in Casino Royale says, I miss the Cold War. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, it, the heroes and villains get all mixed up, right? And uh, Yeah. You know, it was just, it was a time where you just felt like it was so clear. They're the bad guys, we're the good guys, and here's how we do it. And we're going to do it gentlemanly almost. And it's a, almost like a professional respect for each other. And even though they, they may betray, I'm sure it's, you know, stereotype and glamorified them. But it's still just, uh, yeah, just miss those. And that's what I love. Somebody were asking me um, what I love so much about the James Bond, why I do so much of my time investing into enjoying their, the material. I would say that exact same thing I just told you before. That's my number one reason why I love Bond so much. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it? And this really, it hits on all the things that were current at the time from the Greek Civil War, probably the first... Hmm rarely violent episode in the cold war mm. probably um, <laughs> of course going through italy i think you've done an episode already on the italian election which had cia intervention yeah um it's looking into love that story well turkey turkey's role in the uh, cold war yeah um, such cool stuff played into the cuban missile crisis so yeah <laughs> it's it is gripping. It does draw you in, doesn't it? It does. It does. So then we get into the chess game for the novel. Now, now, now we're going to start getting into novel and book and how they start. The book really starts with the chess game and then it gets into the plan um, mm. where it's kind of a little bit of the novel. But let's just start with the chess game. What did you think when you first see the set piece of the book versus how you read it in the novel? So... It's interesting, like a movie must show and a book must tell, yeah. right? So in the book, we get the inner thought processes of uh, Kronstein, how even his own children are like little chess pieces. He's <laughs> trying to work out how to move them. He's listening to the, the other intelligence people, but he's not really thinking about what they're saying. He's more analyzing them in his own quiet way until it's his time to chip in. Um, and you get a sense of that in the in the film. I think the actor who plays Kronstein does a very good job, mm -hmm. but he's kind of implying it, whereas we get really into the head of Kronstein, which is a weird and wonderful place to be. <laughs> yeah, I, I love... Uh, I love that setup, but I, I got to say, I love the film. I love that set piece. I remember when the first time I ever watched From Russia With Love, I thought, oh my God. You, you know when you look at an old building and you see the architecture yeah. and the care they took for making an old building, um, and you're like, wow, how come they don't do this anymore? I felt the same way watching yeah, this old- Yeah, with all the technology we have today. <laughs> yeah, and, and you look at like a, a modern building now, it's, it's square with glass windows made of steel. And there's no character yeah. to it. And and where I live in no. Baltimore, there's so much beautiful architecture. Like we go into the old courthouses and 
every the pillars, everything is done with spirals and gold and all this other stuff. And I looked at that film and I thought, why don't they make set pieces like that? I, I just, I was floored from the first 10 minutes of watching the it film. I'm like, cool. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I love the book and the film. They both show you different sides of it. But yeah, that chess match looks fantastic, doesn't it? So do you, do you have a winner between that scene? Uh, which one do you like better? Do you like the film version or do you like the novel version of the chess match? Oh, it's, it's like the coin is on its side, teetering, <laughs> but it's teetering we're, towards the book. We're going to be doing this all the, the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we will. We will. I think I go for the book because, again, just like with Donovan Grant, we get to see the the backstory, and it is eerie. Kronstein is also a pretty weird character, and I like that insight into what a strange, interesting character he is. It's interesting. Where did Fleming draw all these characters from? They are some of his strongest characters, like the three we see, you know, Donovan Grant, Kronstein, and Rosa Klebb. They're all very well drawn. Um, and all very creepy in very different ways. So you've got the you've got Fleming for win number one for that. I'm gonna go. Yeah, f- I, I'm gonna go film on this one. Actually, I um, okay. I, I love your reasoning again. Exactly what you're saying. It's a coin flip. It's right on the side. I, you couldn't go wrong. You can You could. You could go either way. Uh, I'm gonna go film one just to be uh, because you went one way, and two just because. <laughs> Uh, I remember when I first saw that set piece, just the the thing I was like, because I had seen, the, I watched them in order after the first time. I thought Dr. Morneau was amazing. Then I see the set pieces here with the set, set piece. I'm like, oh, I'm in. I'm all in on this. So I'm going to give it yeah, to the no. film. I'm going to give film. So, all right, we got one and one. And now we get to um, the plan by Smirsh. How do you like the way that the overall, I mean, it's pretty much the same plan. Um but how do you like the way that they unfold it versus the film versus the, the novel? I like the novel, and it's going quite deep into the Soviet apparatus, right? It's going into the whole geopolitical study, who's making these decisions, and they're all kind of in fear of who's above, and they're all pretty paranoid, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's not paranoia if your fears are that justified, is it? Um, <laughs> it is... <laughs> It is a terrifying system, but I think he brings home how terrifying the opposing system is very, very well. I agree. I love it. I love the way the film or the Fleming Fleming does it. Again, you kind of get into the the political aspect, everything that was going on, all the interwoven things. And the film, I think they must have had to do some weird reshoots because you see the way that Rosa Club's like staying still. I think I read somewhere or heard somewhere that they had to do a bunch of research reshoots. And you can see it's very awkward the way that Rosa Club almost like the backgrounds don't mix in all this. So I am going to give a definite, definitive, probably my only definitive uh, win for the uh, for Fleming on this one. <laughs> Are you going to go Fleming on this one too? I, I am. I do like the film because it has a good version of Blofeld. <laughs> <laughs> you asked me ages ago, what's my favorite version of Blofeld? And I, I'm starting to think maybe in some of those early Connery ones where we actually don't see him. Yeah. He's there almost just to introduce the main villain for this film. And we never see him really. Yeah. I kind of like that. That does seem Inspector Gadget. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. I, I like it too. I, I, I do like it. And it's very. I like the way his voice does it. I like the way that he, he does. His voice almost commands the room. Um, much more mm. than anything else. Telly Savalas' voice maybe does, but again, I, I, there's no, there's nothing that, yeah. there's nothing like the no. the ominousness of, of from Rochewood Love. 
Did you like the pre-title sequence the way that they had it in um, the pre-title sequence for the film? I feel this is one that I enjoyed more when it was fresher in my mind, and the more times I see it, the more questions I have. Yeah. Um, I kind of maybe no, no, I'm not going to try and justify what's going on. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's a little it's awkward. Good fun. Uh, for, it's good. Yeah, for uh, as uh, out of all the 25 pre-title sequences, I think From Much with Love has a pretty weak one. And especially the more high def you watch it, if you watch the DVD and then you watch the Blu-ray and then your HD and all that, you really see how bad that makeup was and how he tries to. I, I get that he's yeah. trying to make it a mess, but it, it's very awkward to look at. So yeah, uh, I the, the weakest what point... makeup artist in the sixties was thinking about this. Oh, I imagine in the future people will be watching this in their own homes <laughs> and cinema quality, but decades ahead. But yeah. Yeah, and some American like and British bloke are going to talk about this for no reason, and, <laughs> and they're going to debate and talk the about my makeup. Really <laughs> Two assholes, sixty years <laughs> in the future. Um, oh man! But at so, least see at the pre-title sequence, you see the villain doing something bad, and I do kind of like that when yeah. we really focus on the pre-title sequence on the the villain killing rather than Bond killing or Bond wreaking terrible destruction in some poor part of the world. <laughs> I kind of like it when they put the villain just doing something bad fairly yeah. early on. Um, I think they had to really justify the rest of them. Yeah, for sure. I think they had to justify um, why we're so scared of this guy. And st- strangulation, somebody yeah. strangling, strang- um, strangling somebody to death, that's a very hands-on, intimate way to kill somebody. Uh, so it's definitely different than shooting somebody. That's such an, and if, if you stab somebody or you strangle somebody, that is, that is up close and personal. You earned that one. Um, so I think that's why they have to do it as opposed to the novel which spent, you know, chapters building up why we're scared of Donovan Grant. They have to do it in a pre-title sequence. So I think with what they had, yeah. they did it, but it's still, eh, eh, eh. And how do you want to how do you want to start it if it's based on the book? Do you want to show him as the executioner killing large numbers of people in yeah, prisons, or exactly? You know, you know <laughs> that's such really... a good point. I, could they even could they even have done it? I don't I don't think it would have translated to film well. I mean, how do you start a James Bond film no. with a whole bunch of here's this random guy killing animals and prostitutes on on streets on a bicycle? Like, you can't do it. So I guess yeah, they were right to do it. You could only do it in the film unless you really spent a chapter one, two, and three spending on it. But yeah, I don't think they could have done it. Yeah. I think the closest you've come really is in uh, the third Lord of the Rings film where it shows like Smeagol becoming Gollum and he's killing yeah. his best friend for the ring and he slowly turns into this monster. But you have to be pretty invested. You know, you've watched six hours of film already and then finally see this. It's, it's yeah. not like... It's you, not like the opening of a new big movie, is it? It's uh, yeah, that's a great analogy. That is a great analogy. But you, it definitely Golem was already well introduced, and you knew who he was. Exactly. Um, I only yeah. watched. I went. Yes. Little, I only watched Return of the King one time in the theaters, and I was like, I can't do that again. That was too much. <laughs> was it what, four and a half hours or something yeah. crazy? Yeah, yeah. That's a I mean, lot of. That's I a lot of hobbits. Extended editions. <laughs> I extended editions because you get six normal length films instead of three really long films. And I much prefer that. <laughs> what do you think about when this? Um, I'm a talk. So they start after that, they, they bring bond and Sylvia Trent right away. Um, rather than waiting for bond for a long time, bond and Sylvia Trent scene, love it or hate it. Yeah, I do love it. I do love this window into bonds life. Like yeah. when he's bored and has nothing else to do. And we have a girl from the previous film and, 
we get that continuity going straight away. It's quite nice. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I, 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 I love that scene. I love Sylvia Trench so much. Uh, I think she's just, <laughs> you know, just the perfect. You know, she's she plays her role very well. Um, she does. She's a very talented actress. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, she has assets. She has the assets. Bond film. <laughs> um, what do you think about the casting of Rosa Klebb? When you read the novel and you yeah. look at the casting of Rosa Klebb, do you think that the um, the way you read the novel is how you picture it on the film? I think, yeah, she plays a really good Rosa Klebb. Maybe she doesn't look exactly. She needs to put on a bit more weight. But otherwise, <laughs> she's fine. She's, the, the actress who plays Rosa Klebb is too young and beautiful. If you see <laughs> photographs of her around that time, you can see how she's putting it on. It is funny. Yeah. Because uh, you can see what a lovely lady is in real life. Um, <laughs> but that's the same with many like horror actors. Like, Isn't it funny yeah. if you see um, oh, Dr. Frankenstein, what's his name? Peter Cushing. When he's as himself, he's such a lovely, lovely man. And then you see him as Dr. Frankenstein or Grand Moff Tarkin or whatever. He's really scary. Um, <laughs> so she has an element of that. Yeah. Um, the book, she is charmless. Um, yeah. That's what she is. Yeah. They do a, they, I like how they go into the book, um, how she is. But the film, I, I really like how they portray her. I, I like her. Um, they're little. They dive into how she's a little bit of a lesbian, a little bit of bisexual, and they portray it a little mm. bit in the film, and then the novel the same way. That, but I think that was kind of an awkward scene in the novel when they have her run out screaming. I thought that was kind of yes. out of character for how the fear of Smirsh would be. Um, but other than that, I, I'm going to give. If I have to pick between the novel and the and the film, I'm going to give it to the film. I'm going to give film Rosa Club the win. All right. How about you? Okay. Yeah, I can see that because I feel in the film she's straight up the baddie. Uh, the book, it does delve into her background story, but it's not needed for the film. Um, you can just accept her as Rosa Club, you know, mm. so... Yeah, the way she portrays yeah, okay. it. I, I can give kudos. <laughs> All right. So the, the film finally gets a nod from Thomas. Um, so we get to the... We get to, <laughs> so we get to the... And here's another difference about the, the novel. We When we first introduced Bond, I love how they introduced Bond as bored, right? And there's a there's yeah. a really cool line in there that says, if you the guardians you wish to destroy, you first make bored. And uh, I yeah. love that. Have, do you ever feel that way? I know you were in the military for a long time. You were in the Navy, and then you've been on China. You've been on all these adventures, right? Do you ever do you feel complacent? Do you ever feel complacent or bored when you had that downtime and like your senses and your skills yeah. have diminished? Yeah, desperately. Um, yeah, any time that I've been between travels, between jobs, especially. Um, it's, I get desperately, desperately bored. And when I look at say this chapter, um, it, it rings home. It very much rings home. The first time I read it, I wasn't sure if I was reading about James Bond or Sherlock Holmes because the comparisons are so on the nose with the early Sherlock Holmes stories, who's motivated by boredom, who has a Scottish housekeeper and so does Bond. So I found that a little bit funny as a straight up comparison between the two, um, Again, Fleming's writing style is just really acrid, so it really brings home. Obviously, he has this phenomenal fitness routine, which I, I'm, I'm willing to keep up with that. Um, <laughs> a couple of deadlifts, uh, a couple of uh, pull-ups or chin-ups or whatever, I'm, I'm totally up for this kind of exercise routine. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, 
And yeah, that breakfast, I've had that many times. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think that for me, um, the only thing I miss is um, of being in like the narcotics unit where you get the excitement of it is you know doing things like I, I there was one point i would i dressed up like a, a junkie and i had to sneak in through the the the, the they, they call it the uh the trap house but around there and go, climb up roofs and then while i was over the roof like going in and like sneaking in and all the excitement of, of going into that and then you become a house cat we call it and you do you feel like you're 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 your your senses are so dull and i can feel it i can feel the atrophy of of my awareness you know, there's still times like i was at my son's um hockey game the other day and somebody went to reach like in in where the waistband where a handgun would be and then it instantly kicked back i was like ready to tackle this dude mm. and then it turned out to be that he had one of those old man phone clips but it was it was it was, like, <laughs> but I was I was like oh I was ready to you know engage so it was it was nice to feel that rush again of 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 being that mm. but when you're bored and you're, you feel your senses dull you really can feel um, you can feel like a house yeah. cat you can definitely feel like your senses are dulled yeah as I say between jobs between travels I get that yeah and I'm sure you definitely yeah, do. I can see this as a motivation for adventure yeah um, this is why they go on all these crazy crazy adventures because what do you do what do you do once you've done it you know like i had some interesting work in saudi arabia the highs were very very high the lows are desperately low yeah. the lows are very very low indeed but <laughs> you do have you know dined in the most expensive restaurant in saudi arabia that's great yeah. i'm not sure whether i paid for it fully with all those terrible times that i had but <laughs> you know you get used to those peaks and troughs and when it's just coasting along in the middle it does get to you it it's does. weird it really does the mundane yeah, it's like when you, in a small when you're covert, like when you're in covert and you're sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and you're hiding and you're waiting for the animal to do something. It is the most mind-numbing boredom until it's the most exhilarating rush, and you know, and it's just uh, you know, you just miss that. I I miss that stuff terribly, but it's the only thing I miss about it. Yeah. Other than that, I the bad schedule and all the other stuff I don't miss, but that that rush I I definitely miss. And I, one of the things I loved. Um, going back to just the storytelling is the t- television salesman that was in the novel yeah. where she's like, this damn television salesman keeps coming and he says that he wants to sell a TV just because you're the only place without an antenna. And it actually ends up being, you know, Spectre or Smirsh, I mean, um, checking up on him. I, I just love that story. And Bond is like, well, do I worry about this? Do I not? And he's, his senses yeah. are dulled. He's lazy at the same point. So if he was right in the middle of something, he'd, be more worried about it but now again he's like you know i'm not doing anything i'm just a house cat admin person just whatever um but i love that the yeah. little nuances of a television a story about a television salesman coming and then you know the audience knows he knows that you know it is part of the spy games yeah yeah it's it's good it keeps that trickle of tension going through that chapter and yeah. kind of as you say it shows he's becoming just idle yeah. How about the breakfast? I know that you w- w- talk about the breakfast. <laughs> I know you you know that breakfast. You are the you are the food aficionado of the. I love the... that breakfast. <laughs> yes, yes, I I do. I have think I've eaten and drunk everything referred to in this book, um, apart from the poison pill, obviously, um, <laughs> which just gets flushed down the toilet. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's a it's a good it's a good solid breakfast. I, I 
I reread it and sometimes realize how mundane it is. Basically, brown toast and there's some honey on it and a boiled egg. Yeah. But you know, he has a full spread. He has his very specific things. I wonder because he chooses Tiptree, I think, as the brand. Mm. And I wonder if it was written today, would it be some artisan jam? I've made my own jam recently. I get real <laughs> excited about that. So maybe he would make his own jam. Oh, Wouldn't Tom, Tom Thomas, we need to get you. You're making your own jam. We need to get you. We need to get you on an adventure, buddy. <laughs> when you're making Smucker's jam. We do. I need, we to, do. I need to get you on an adventure. <laughs> it's almost as bad as a Bond film where he makes quiche or maybe makes pancakes for a small French child. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> or cuts a banana. <laughs> like <laughs> really, uh... really living on the edge there, Bond. <laughs> oh man, uh, we can swipe it at no time today. Uh, what, what <laughs> um, so then we get into something that they have in common is the briefcase. So he goes in there. Yeah. So he goes into M's office. Let's just go into M's office. So Bond goes into M's office. Um, novel versus film. You know, debate which one you like better. Oh no, for me there's no debate. Uh, it's the film. I'm afraid Desmond Llewellyn making his first appearance. Yeah. I'm, I'm sold on that. He's, he's just so good. It's his first time. I always find it really weird watching it as a child to see him so young. Um, <laughs> and now when I watch it, I realize he's not that young. <laughs> no, I <laughs> he's know. He's right. on forever. But, uh, but yeah, he's great. Yep. I'm, I'm totally sold on that version. Uh, uh, yeah, I love... I, and I, Bernard Lee. Yeah, Bernard Lee. Uh, you know, everything about that. I love the scene. I love the Many Penny, the way that... That's the most fun I think you see Bond in Many Penny. You know, Connery. Yeah. And... Um, Lois Maxwell, that was that was that was them, and then Roger Moore, and then was kind of. I always yeah. felt like that one was kind of forced. Like, there's no actual mm-hmm. sexual tension there, whereas you could kind of say, yeah, you know what, Sean probably had a round. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I think uh, Lois Maxwell and Roger Moore has actually a history together. They've been at theater school, but like they're old friends. Yeah, when you can get that. It's like very buddy buddy. Yeah, it is. But when she says in Moonraker something like, oh, why are you late? And it's like, well, I was thrown out of an airplane without a parachute. <laughs> she gives him this look like she's the school nurse. Yeah. She's asked him what's happened. And he was just like, I happened to fall over or something. And she yeah. knows he's lying. And it just, it reminds me, yeah, of a school nurse looking at a school boy. Yeah, it's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same as you get with that scene. No. But yeah, for, for, for sure, I get all that. And how about the briefcase? So the briefcase is almost the same. There's a little couple nuances oh. Um, Fleming, Fleming or film? Which one do you like for the gadget? I'll go again with the film. They've yeah. they've tricked it out more. It's it's fun, and again, you actually get to see it and appreciate how long did the stunt, or the, sorry, the prop department work on this? Yeah, it's a good bit of work. Yeah, and the it's latches. Fun. I think that's brilliant. You just turn the latches. Normally, this is how yeah. you do it. I thought that whole thing was uh, that was absolutely brilliant. What do you think about it? I think that um, the film and the novel both kind of get into this. Um, what do you think about the folly that Fleming wants to portray the British as adventure-seeking, and then that's why this is going to work, that they understand the, the Soviets or, or Schmirsch and Inspector, they understand British psyche, whereas British don't understand the plot because they don't understand how the Soviets view face. Right, they don't have a good under- yeah. appreciation for what face is. Um, what do you think about that comparison um, as far as the storyline goes? 
on this, I'm willing to trust the writer. I'm willing to trust Fleming because when he writes about what I know, he's right. He's right about something. I'm not sure how Britain's viewed Russians generally. There had been high-profile cases of failure to understand the Russians, Burgess and McLean earlier on, the two traders who went over to the Soviets. And obviously we'd helped them during the war, but there had been a big question as to how much was too much because you know, what happens after? <laughs> um, so I think taking kind of Churchill's view on Russia, like some did, some didn't. So I think there was a general misunderstanding of Russia. Whether they understood us perfectly well, I don't know. But I feel that what they're really getting to here, if I really think of a historical example, is the great game where Britain and Imperial Russia were fighting over Afghanistan for over mm -hmm. about 100 years. So it's throughout the 19th century, we play the great game. And they do refer to, say, Bordrog Drummond, um, kind of a great colonial, kind of fictitious hero. Suggest And Fleming had been criticized for basically writing Bulldog Drumming, uh, stories with sex that has been one of the criticisms of him and he actually includes Bulldog Drummond in his story yeah. <laughs> so I feel it's he's carrying on a tradition there but modernizing it which uh, is what the films have done ever since yeah I mean I love that you brought up this Afghan thing because that's kind of what I felt the same way I think that you look at the Afghan war it was very much that the Afghans understood our response to a terrorist attack they understood that what we're trying to do here is we're trying to bring the West, as predictable as they are, into a war, and they're going to dump a bunch of money in here, we're going to get better, and then they're going to lose their resolve very quickly, and then we're going to be better off, and then we're going to have our country back with new toys. And that's exactly, yeah. I mean, they, they called it before they did the terrorist attacks, exactly what they were trying to do, and they did exactly that because they understood the West and how predictable Western views on things are. Whereas the West went into that, as predictable and not understanding um, that 15 years to a culture like the Afghans is nothing. It's nothing. Mm. The generations. And, and they kind of talked in this, in this book is that the, the British didn't understand how important non-rational things are to someone um, from, that, from that area. So I, I just, I, yeah. it's another one of those things that just I love so much reading about so i just love the novelization about how they really get dive into that they do they do uh, one of the most <laughs> so then we get into um crystal palace you've been there yeah. have you been there have you been to that uh, nice terra palace which is where so Fleming stayed at the Para Palace and he changes the name to Crystal Palace. The location is basically the same, the Para district of Istanbul. The Crystal Palace is kind of the opposite because he talks about this grungy hotel where centipedes are coming out of the taps and so on. Yeah. And the Para Palace is a very, very nice hotel. It's where Agatha Christie stayed when she wrote Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, really? Um, Crystal Palace is a place in London, so he's Bond's chosen the name for a joke. <laughs> 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 that's great so what, yeah, what, do, you, what do you think about when he first lands in, in Istanbul the, 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 I think the novel and the film both kind of go along the same lines and I think they kind of they're pretty much mirroring each other but um, what do you think about that whole hey they follow us we follow them we're pretty cool we understand that this is a game yeah it, it again it has a weird ring of truth to it um, that they do just all know each other and they all operate under very different rules to how you might operate, say, in Berlin. Um, yeah. It, that makes a lot of sense to me. 
Uh, yeah. And the descriptions of a city, the descriptions of, well, the Turks. He's not very complimentary towards the modern <laughs> Turks, but whatever he sees with a keen eye. What he, how does he describe him? He describes them as centuries old, as staring for sheep to leave, and then always have a ha- have an eye on the gun while not having an eye on the gun. Um, yeah. Really, I, I've only been to Istanbul. I've been, only been in Istanbul in passing. Um, so mm. I've flown in and out of there. Uh, so I don't really know. But the, my only interaction with Turks is at the airports. Um, but so I, I wouldn't be <laughs> it the, is the best place. It does get better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but what do you think about Darko Kareem? I, I, so we're gonna get into the the, the nitty gritty here because Darko plays a giant role in both the film and the novel. Well, let's kind of get into Darko Kareem novel version. Yes, I absolutely love the novel version. That he is. What is it? Uh, pounds and pounds of life. It's a tiny <laughs> little bag. Um, he, is, he is a bright point of the book and yep. film, but just with the book. He's, again, Fleming writes so accurately. And people have said to me, oh, the things he was writing were probably fine back then, but they're, they're not okay now. And, I, and it always weirds me out because they weren't okay back then. <laughs> There's very little of what Fleming wrote that was okay in the 50s, yeah. which in some ways was more censorious than our own time. Um, it talks about how his father used to basically kidnap and abuse women and children. I mean, um, he, yeah, I mean, he literally, <laughs> cha- uh, yeah, the father did, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he, 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 <laughs> but he is a phenomenal character. Oh, I love, I love the novel version. Uh, I think that he's so much darker than Pedro Almandaras. Yes, that, you know, Pedro Almandaras is yes. Is, is very charming and, and very and Darko is that, but he's almost. He said, "I'm greedy for life." I take too much all the time in the novel. That's what he says. Yeah. And I love that. And then even going into the dark story about him kidnapping the Arabian Hellcat, as he calls her, and then chaining her. Yeah, the best Arabian. <laughs> She's, uh, yes. It is a bizarre story. Yeah. But I always wonder, does this come purely from the imagination of Ian Fleming? So much of it doesn't. Some of it, you know, a lot of it is observed or he's been yeah. told a story or somebody's told a story to somebody else and it's come to him. Um, but Darker Karim was supposedly based on his guide in Istanbul. So I wonder what his guide thought when he oh. read it and heard that. I, he um, must have heard a story about like, that. I mean, I, I, could you, you imagine trying to sell that, sell that storyline now? Hey, we're going to have a character that people are really going to like. But at one point, he kidnaps a girl, chains her, and then the wife or the mother comes, unlocks her, and still refuses to leave. And then he's gonna have, make a comment about <laughs> that's doesn't that say something about the female psyche? Like, can, can, can you can you imagine trying to yeah. sell that story now? No way. It, it, there's no I can say it, there's no way that was socially acceptable at that point either. There's no way that sentence was no, even in the fifties. He talk, he mean, talks a lot about a the Victorian. Bit. Don't you feel like sometimes? Uh, Fleming's novel is a um, counterpoint to his own Victorian upbringing. Oh yeah, definitely. He's, yeah. He very much talks about his Victorian up. You know, I knew that he came from a very Victorian strict thing, and he, when he talks about his novelization, it's almost like he gets to say all the things that he wish he could have said during his Victorian upbringing, and then he says that you know, counter to the old Victorian upbringing, he he brings. I, I think every novel that I've ever read. I think he mentions Victorian upbringing in every novel. Yeah, and it's either in the mouth of M or another character, sometimes Bond as he hates the colonial kind of regime and setup in Jamaica and so on. So there's a lot of rebellion 
going on, yeah. um, consciously or subconsciously. Um, but as you say, Darker Karim is a much darker character um, in the in the book. Yeah, than he is I agree. The film, the film Pedro, is very gregarious, but yeah, gregarious is a great. It's a great. That's a great word for him. I love um, Darker Karim in the film too. I think he does great. But as far as which one wins, uh, Fleming by a mile on that one. I figured right there is a good time to start stop part one because this is you're 50 minutes in it's been a long time so uh, I wanted to break this into two parts and I think that's a really good spot in part two we're going to get into even more in-depth stuff it's going to be more great conversation and stay tuned for the next one and uh, if you don't already do it little man what should you be doing like what you saw then hit that subscribe button comment down below and leave a like in the and hit that subscribe button. Why are you not hitting that subscribe button? Hit that subscribe button.